Hello everyone and welcome to the Winking It F1 podcast. We're reviewing an absolutely dour, dire, boring, awful Abu Dhabi season finale. <laughs> um, but there is plenty to talk about, more off the track than on it really. Um, but yeah, I'm actually quite looking forward to this episode. Probably for not a lot of it we'll spend talking about the race, but there we go. Uh, so I am joined by Freddie Coates as usual. I think the only person to have been in every winging episode so far i think we're up to 44 now freddie how are you feeling i am actually really wide awake now i nearly fell asleep in the race but which is rare for me um because i can like look at a race at poor ricard and go oh maybe but um with this one i was just like i was on the, i think i fell asleep from lap 20 to lap 30 um but i'm actually really more interested in doing this podcast <laughs> I think I'm probably the same, to be honest. And we are not joined by Nigel this week. We are joined by our third guest on the podcast, Ed Spencer. Ed, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. My breath stinks of coffee and I've been bored out my muttons this afternoon. But yes, I'm very glad to be on here this, for the first time. Yeah, um, it's great to have you. So I met Ed at Autosport International in January um, on the last day, which was probably the worst day. Um, but Ed, would you just like to tell people about kind of what you do within the F1 um, world? So I'm not actually inside the Formula 1. I'm inside the Formula 2 world. So I am a writer and occasional uh, crucifier at Formula 2 drivers for inside F2. Um, I write articles where I write race previews, qualifying practice, Race and occasionally get into the old X Grand Prix drive for a graduate's uh, feature. Do the off bit on Drive Tribe, where I talk about trips abroad to Grand Prix, write the odd preview, and occasionally write about the, the next team boss that's due to be sacked. So, a wide variety, just like these two gents I'm sitting with this afternoon. Yeah, I'd recommend checking you out. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is EdSpencer99. Yeah, so have a look there and yeah, follow up. All of Ed's. Posey recently, or maybe not so recently now, interviewed Antonio Giovinazzi, which was a Ooh. very good hook. Um, not jealous at all. And yeah, and while we're at it, then we are on Twitter at Winging It F1. I'm at Adam Dickinson 01, and Freddie Coates is at Fred Coates 99. Um, so we'll 1999. get into the, Yes, that. We'll get into the race uh, as quickly as possible. So we can get out of it as quickly as possible as well. Was it the Worst race of the season, most boring race of the season. Yes, I think for me it promised a lot. That's the thing. Weirdly, for Abu Dhabi, you go into Abu Dhabi thinking, "Oh yeah, the only two, three good races we've had here have been because cars can't overtake, and it makes it interesting anyway." Um, apart from twenty twelve, um, so I, you had Verstappen on pole by such a mini mini margin, mini margin between him down to third for Hamilton. And you kind of think, I've always kind of thought this year, if Hamilton's behind Bottas at the end of the first lap, it's going to be a decent race for a bit of it anyway. Because Hamilton, you know, he's the, he's the hard knuckle racer and Bottas will drive around with it and try and win. And so then you had, I thought it was going to be a bit more like faster car behind slower car for the majority of the race and actually was looking forward to it. And then that didn't happen. And Verstappen waltzed away and had one of his best ever drives in Formula One, I'd, I'd say. Um, because he could just control the race and we don't really get to see that from Verstappen that often. So it was good for a dr one particular driver, but just to watch the race, just, I didn't really get anything out of it at all. I, yeah. I would say it was the worst race. And I'd give that honor to Catalonia because that's when I nearly fell asleep. Um, 
when you always think of Abu Dhabi, you always think, right, okay, I'll watch the start, and then I'll watch the first 10 laps. If nothing happens, I'll plan my takeaway, I'll plan my alcohol shipment. Uh, I'll do a few jobs around that house. I might clean the bathroom and I might do clean the toilet. Uh, but with Max, you thought, hmm, this should be interesting. Max, Max is on pole, Valtteri's next to him, Lewis third, Lando fourth. Thought we're in for a cracker. Not really. After the first corner, there was a hit in, into my head, which thought, oh, God, here we go. This is going to be a complete ball fest. Um, and I was proved very, very right. It was a complete snooze fest. Um, there was pretty much no overtaking. Um, there was no laughs. There was no funny team radios. We could have a laugh except for Ferrari having a complete meltdown again on strategy. Um, pretty much one of the worst races of the last decade. But that isn't the worst race because Catalonia nearly sent one to sleep. So, what can you say? It's, it's Abu Dhabi. If, yeah. you, if, you think, if, you, if you think there's going to be a good race in Abu Dhabi, I have some magic beans to sell you. Um, because it was just a waste of time. Yeah, it's. I'd, I'd. I think I put Bahrain as the worst race of the season. If you t- even if you take out the Grosjean accident, I just it was a poor race, and then you had the Grosjean accident, and it's even worse. If Bahrain um, had a bit of heartbreak in the end, at least it had a bit of a emotion to it um, with Perez's drive and stuff like that. I think you didn't even get that with this Grand Prix. Yeah, but going into Bahrain, you kind of think, oh, it might be. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, it might be a decent Bahrain. race. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, but oh, it's just so, so bad. Um, but there we go. These races happen and yeah, it's just one of those. But someone did win because they have to. <laughs> someone did win because they had to. And it was Max Verstappen who nearly got a grand slam, but he didn't because he didn't get fastest lap. That was Daniel Ricciardo. Um, but yeah, it was... Very good performance over the weekend, really. Mercedes weren't quite at the races, but Verstappen was able to take it to them. And Freddie, where kind of do you think this puts him going into the next season? You know, how will he, what will he take from this? Hey, what you get from Red Bull at the end of every season when they actually look kind of good by the time they get to about, about round 12 and then go back to square one and be, become the third, second fastest car by a mile in the first race of the season. I think it's, yeah, I think Verstappen did do, he's, he's, he's made the most of the car that's come to him at the end of the season. The Rebel have worked really hard to make this car work. And it was, there was underlying pace at the start of the year. And they threw that away with, um, with a really quite undrivable handling package early on. But they've clawed it back a bit and clawed it back. And then the past few rounds, since about Nürburgring onwards, Verstappen's been knocking on the door for pole position for the majority of the races. So it was coming for Verstappen. A win was coming on pure pace in the dry. And I think that's just because Mercedes stopped developing their car in July. Really, I don't think... I think for Red Bull for next year, it's going to be the same situation as it's been since 20. 2016 where they developed the car too late yeah and Ed where do you think this kind of ranks in you know domination wins of the season um, I think it's pretty high up I would say it's pretty high up I wouldn't say it was too fat 1988-esque because I mean the Mercedes did look like they were going to do it until they stopped developing and went on strike um, I would say it's pretty high up there um They've always been 
they've always had the fastest car. They've always looked like they've got the best package. They've got the best engine, the best chassis, the best drivers. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone can really keep up. Red Bull have got a car that's well, at one stage is the best thing in the world to drive. And then you see Alex driving it and it looks undrivable and it looks like it's about to fly off the road every five seconds. Uh, Ferrari haven't had a proper package. So Mercedes have had, have had it easy this year, uh, which is a, a indictment on the on the other teams. They need to really pull their sleeves up and get working. Um, yeah. I think but, I think that kind of boosts Verstappen's win this week. I think because it was on pure pace, it was one of the one of the most unchallenged wins of the season. Really, it was lights to flag, which not there aren't too many of Mercedes wins been off the top of my head or no, I, can't, I, I can't think of any I'm, I think this is probably the easiest win in Max's career because every time Max has yeah. won something, something's gone on, gone on with Mercedes yeah. there's complete chaos around him there's been a what I think what was it 2018 Mexico where he just took the lead at the start and then waltzed off then that was pretty similar for Max's side but apart from that I think this is the race where he is you know, he, this is his most mature win. I know mature is yeah. a word that gets thrown around a lot with Max because he's a young guy. But it was a win that meant you didn't need to focus on him because a lot of the races with Max are kind of where he wins. Um, it's kind of more like, oh, he's racing for it. He's, he's the underdog going for it. Whereas in this, this race, Verstappen wasn't the underdog and he delivered. And that's, I think, what, is a step for Red Bull to be at that position. They, the last time they had that yeah. was Ricardo in Monaco. And mm. the last time they had a drive where they were the clear favourite. So, um, or maybe Brazil last year. So, I'd say for this, it's a really solid drive for Max. I mean, yeah, he didn't put a foot wrong, really. Yeah, it's a bit like the results Vettel seemed to bang out very consistently when he was at Red Bull in the you know, obviously different um, differences with the car, you know, relative performances of the car, which is kind of what makes this even more impressive. But, you know, he, he's on pole, takes a lead and, you know, just doesn't ever look like relinquishing it. So a very good performance from Verstappen. And yeah, I think as Freddie, you said, it's, I don't know how much this, you know, points towards next season, probably not very much, but, you know, it's, it's nice for him, although I think it's overshadowed largely by, you know, people's memory of the race will be how bad it was. Um, I think Red Bull have said that something like 60% of the car next year is different, I think. Mm. And there are a few regulation changes in terms of stripping downforce. So, which is a bit pointless. I mean, why bother? Um, if, you're going to be, if you're going to be keeping the jump, if you're going to be allowing the cars to develop, then that's where you get new tyres. If you're stripping the downforce, why are they getting new tyres? They're going to get new tyres, but with the same amount of downforce or maybe even a bit less they've had at the end of this season. So, I don't really get it. It seems a bit weird that they've just brought in some kind of random regulations for next season, just for the sake of it. Mm, maybe that's the point of it. Maybe that will work for any random team. Yeah, but going on to the Mercedes, they um, were on second and third on the podium, and as they were quite surprised. But yeah, Ed kind of sum up their race. Where were they kind of going wrong, do you think? I think they kind of, they knew they weren't going to be that quick this weekend. I think they'd all sort of thought, well, we've won the championship, we've won the constructors, we don't really need to really play, to, play too much of a hand. I mean, 
they were probably also at the back of what happened in Saki. They were probably a bit more cautious than this week, than last week, this weekend, unfortunately. I also don't think the drama with Lewis, whether he was coming, where he was going, really helped either. Mm. So, you know, whether they're going to have to set the car up for George or not. But I just don't think they were near the pace that we expected. It was a bit of a surprise to see them second and fifth in practice. And then we saw Quali Max just completely waltz off of Valtteri, Mr. Saturday, as they called him, uh, which is a bit of an oxymoron. Um, and then the race, it was, they just couldn't keep up. It just, they ran out of steam. But that is what happens when teams do win the championship early. They do run out of steam. They do become, I wouldn't say lazy. I would say more relaxed. Um, you know, Michael had this with Ferrari when in some year seasons they won the championship and they were just like, well, let's just let Rubens win. They can afford so, to treat this as an irrelevant Grand Prix, though. They, yeah. they really can. They won the constructors in Imola. They won the drivers in Turkey weeks yeah. ago, months ago. So yeah. they can afford to lose the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm sure Toto isn't really that worried. I'm sure he's probably looking for the next flight home. He probably isn't really fussed that, oh, we lost to Max by 11 seconds in the last race season when we've won everything. We don't need to worry, oh, God, we've lost revenue this weekend. It wasn't so. an embarrassment like last week. No, they, they, weren't, they, weren't, no. they weren't doing the hokey-cokey with the, the pit stops no. um, or juggling tyres. But I think that's probably what they just thought. Let's just not do any embarrassments when we do the double stack. So, again, as, as I've said, we've just been cautious. That's, that's the only thing I could think of. It does surprise me, though. It, it doesn't feel like it's Mercedes' mantra. It feels like it's always to improve, to improve, to improve. And it's been, yeah. you know, I think Lewis has moved on a lot from, you know, the Lewis of five or six years ago when, you know, he'd win the title and, you know, that would be kind of it you know, maybe mentally check out a bit more, which kind of what I think what allowed Rothberg to get the foothold to win his 2016 title. But it, it seems like he's moved on from that. And, you know, he is just about constant improvement. And when you've got no competitors, then constant improvement is the only thing you can really measure yourself against. So, yeah, it, they were just off all weekend. Although, you know, saying that Hamilton did get uh, top in Q1 and Q2. But yeah, they just didn't, you know, when push came to shove, they didn't have it. And as we said, it was Verstappen winning on pure pace. He was driving away from the Mercedes. And again, Lewis wasn't really able to close in on Valtteri too much either. Do you think it was maybe a good thing for George Russell that he didn't get, you know, he wasn't racing this weekend or? Yeah, I, or said, sorry, this our, racing for Mercedes. I said this on our preview episode that I think it, it saves George Russell from any embarrassment anyway. Um, I think for Bottas as well, it saves him from any embarrassment of being beaten hand over fist once again by Russell. So for Russell's done what he needed to do, which is go into the Mercedes and show everyone who he is and where he's at. And now he's been able to go back to the Williams and have a you know quiet drive there, but a good drive as, as is expected yeah. from him. So... He's done what he needs to do and he's put his marker down. And then if he had come out today and had a shocker, then it would have been, it would have been worse for him, to be honest. I think it, it always makes me think of Giovinazzi when he stepped in at the Salva in 2017 for Pascal Verlein after he got injured in the race of champions. Um, Giovinazzi came in into Australia and had a really, you know, really solid, good drive, was matching Ericsson a little bit faster than Ericsson, I think. Um, but then he came into China and had a big crash twice, basically, 
So that cemented his, rep- his reputation for the next two years. People thought he was a bit of more of an unsteady driver when actually he, w- he had already proven himself as a safe pair of hands and everyone's going, wow, look at this guy, he's all right. And then the reputation completely flips. So that could have happened with Russell today and it didn't. So I think Russell's been saved from any embarrassment potentially. Yeah, I, th- I, I think so. I think for Valtteri as well, I feel he had pretty much had his trousers pulled down in Sakir. I don't think he needed George next to him, uh, make him look like a look like a bigger fool than he was last week. The trouble I think with George was if he'd come back, bearing in mind he didn't, he doesn't really fit in that car. Let's be not kidding ourselves. He was wearing, you know, wrong size shoes. He was his helmet was bobbing up the top near the halo. It didn't really fit, so it would have been a tough one. Fifty-five laps in at Abu Dhabi. So I think George, if he had completely messed up the weekend, then we would have been all wondering, oh, hang on a minute, is he really that good? Was that was it a fluke? Was it Merck having the best car? So probably best. I know George probably wanted to be in the Merck because let's face it, he doesn't want to be pottering around in 15th, 16th position. That's not him. He wants to win races, as does every driver on this grid. So I think probably for George, he would have wanted it. But he's probably coming away from this weekend breathing a huge sigh of relief that he wasn't in the Mercedes. He was doing his usual business, surprising us all, trying to be Mr. Saturday, which he sort of did. He beat Latifi again. Imagine. I think, I think Jack <laughs> that beat Latifi. He was a tenth off, Aitken was. Yeah, he was not oh, yeah. far away. Wolf. Jesus. The qualifying specialist could form a bank called the Saturday. That'd be a good meme. But... Um, Qualifying is an interesting thing to look at for this year because the majority of teammate teams have had one star qualifier, which is yeah. really weird this year. I, I think normally, well, I mean, it's, it's been more the case the past few years, but it used to be like drivers used to be a bit more level, a bit more science and Norris in terms of qualifying, where it was nine yeah. Norris, eight science. Um, the majority of them have got one one driver in quite decent double double figures. <laughs> So I think yeah. I'd go further and say that most teams have one dominant driver. I think you've got Verstappen, Hamilton, Ricardo, Gasly, Perez, Leclerc, Russell. That's seven teams. And then Ooh, you've got yeah. McLaren's got, pretty even. Haas is not too far away. And uh, Haas were good. And Alfa Romeo yeah. were... Gio, Gio beating Kimi. That is Actually, a, yeah. That is um, do you think Russell would have got a podium if he'd been in this race? Because... Albon was, and we'll talk about Albon kind of after this, but Albon was not too far away from Lewis. He's being egged on to catch him at the end. Bottas, you know, I think it's difficult to measure where Lewis is at coming back from COVID, but, you know, Bottas had the beating of him on the, over the race. Ed, do you think George would have got a podium if he'd been in the Mercedes? Um, yeah, I think he would have just hung on for thirds. Um because I think really that car did suit George, even if it was a bit too top heavy for him uh, in terms of height. I think George would have hung on for third because he knows where Alex is best. Where yeah, that's true. So he would have known exactly where Alex was going to go and Alex was going to defend and Alex was going to attack. I think probably would have just been Valtteri and qualifying. But I think in the race with George, I think he would have just wanted that podium to be cautious because of what happened last week. Because he would, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, he, the circumstances did come out of his hands last time out. So I think George would have just hung on, but it wouldn't have been an easy race, especially with Alex closing. Uh, yeah, chances are you've had a similar race to 
Hamilton and Bottas, who both basically did the same thing. Hamilton was a sec- two seconds off for the majority, which is all he really could do in the Mercedes in terms of getting close to another car anyway. And he dropped off a bit because he was in the dirty air, I think, really. I think, mm. yeah, he was out qualified, and that's, we can attribute that to Hamilton's illness, um, really. And, but it wasn't by much. And Hamilton was on good form, frankly. Better form than I thought he would be at the start of the weekend. So from, from the start of the weekend. And I think Russell would probably have performed on a level that those two have done. I think it would have just been another two, three for Mercedes. Albon, if Albon, had, if Norris hadn't done such a mega qualifying lap, then maybe Albon would have been a factor. But I think it was a bit too little, too late from Alex Albon in this race. Mm. Well, we'll go on to him straight away. Was it his best performance of the season? Because I think I'd say it was. He was 20 uh, seconds off his teammate. He was 40 seconds ahead of the midfield battle and he was you know as we said he was one and a half seconds behind Hamilton at the at the finish if his teammate was third or second maybe but his teammate was in a car that was dominating the race absolutely smashed it as well um yeah so the the car was the car was really really good this weekend yeah I don't think I don't think it was his best performance I think probably the first Bahrain race or even Mugello was his best race because he actually got a podium um I'd say this was better than Mugello because well, uh, as Adam says, his, his, his gap to the midfield was actually, he didn't get mired down. He, he got past Norris. Whereas Magello, yeah. he, he messed around a bit with Stroll and Ricardo and Perez. So. He had to get past Danny Rick, Magello. And he did. He, if, he if he didn't get past, he wouldn't have got third, if you think about it. Yeah, but he did it. He did it on like lap 58 or something, rather than doing it on lap five for Norris. Well, with Lan- well I mean, with Lando, it was pretty clear McLaren were not going to be as quick as they were in qualifying. Exactly. Um, yeah, Albon should have been quicker in Mugello. Yeah, well, I mean, Al- uh, to be fair, the race was a complete mishmash. It was two halves of races. Um, yeah, and, and when it was a race for about 30 laps, he was behind Stroll and Ricardo for the whole thing. Yeah, well, then Stroll had his tyre blowout and Ricardo. That's him, yeah. Then he, could, he, didn't, he didn't pass him then. <laughs> well, he, he did, but, in the, but it, would, it did take time. But he could have just crashed. Um, in the so like every race, so yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I'll, I'll end it to that. But I think that was probably one of his. This weekend was probably one of his best performances. But I would oh, still yeah. rank Magello just slightly ahead. Um, yeah, I think of this season, I'd probably put this as his best. Which you know, probably as you said, given the Red Bulls' advantage, probably says more about his other races than it does this. But I, I, you know, I don't think it changes anything in, long, in the long term re- regarding to his seat. But it was it was nice to see him doing well, and that there wasn't some negative, you know, negative story about the fact that he's getting lapped by Verstappen or overtaken by Ocon or whatever. So yeah, you know, it's and actually, if it was a lot of races this season, the top three haven't been all finishing the race. You know, so it could he could have got a podium from this performance. It was just you know he had the misfortune of it happening on a weekend where the other, you know, the normally dominant drivers didn't get a, didn't get any misfortune. Um, but we mentioned it there. McLaren did get third in the Constructors' Championships. They had a 10-point deficit to Racing Point that they had to overcome going into the weekend. And they did it with ease, really. Um, Norris was kind of looking good throughout the whole race. And it, Looked like it came down to stroll or science. Science might have had a penalty, still might get one 
um, but it won't affect the won't affect the standings for for the constructor championship. But yeah, how how big an achievement is this for McLaren? Um, considering they were the laughing stock of Formula One three or four years ago, this is an amazing achievement. I think Zach Brown and Andrew Steedle have really built this team up again back to where it should be, which is in the top six of you know the of Formula One in. <coughs> Top three, especially because McLaren should not be running around at the back 17th, 18th. You know, Ron Dennis be spinning in his mansion. Um, so they, they built this team up. They built it with Carlos. They built it with Lando. Knowing that they've got good experience, they built good cars, they've got good engine. Even if the Renault engine isn't the best in the world, it's still got a lot, lot to give. And they've really, really built this team up. I think. Well, if you think about it, they've been a bit breath fresh air lander and cars. They've worked well together. They've had no, there's been no egos between them. You know, sometimes when you get an experienced driver and a younger driver, you have that, I'm, I've done this, I've done that. You've done nothing. You get, in sec- you get in your side of the garage, you do nothing with me. But they've got on really well and they've worked together well. And they should have at least won a race this season. I, I still can't get why, I still don't get why science didn't win at Monza. Um, if they'd won at Monza, it would have been pandemonium. Um, but you've got to think that man- the management and the fact they've built good cars, they've got a good base now, they've got a good team around them. It's only going to get better with the Mercedes. And I reckon they'll be challenging Red Bull for second next season. Yeah, I think, obviously, as you mentioned, in 2018, they were sixth. In 2017, they were ninth in the Constructors' Championship. It's, I think it's been quite a rise for McLaren. It's also worth thinking about where they were 10, 12 years ago. You know, they still have a bit of a way to go to get right back up to the big time. And, you know, getting the Mercedes in will be a blessing in one sense, but it will also limit the amount of development they can do on the rest of the car because of the kind of development freeze coming in. But, yeah, it's for them to be at this position so quickly is, you know, a massive testament, I think, to the team and the drivers. And... I think they're probably the tightest knit driver pairing on the grid. It it just it just or maybe even the tightest knit team on the whole grid. I think it just seems such a strong unit, which is something they didn't have in the Honda years in the last Renault year when they were just, you know, a dog of a car. So yeah, I'm I'm happy that they're back up there. It would have been nice for would it? Probably wouldn't have actually, because Racing Point obviously have a shadow over their season with the with the car development and the Mercedes brake ducks, I think it's probably better for the sport that McLaren get it. Yeah, I think yeah, I can I can agree with that. It's um, McLaren have obviously worked really hard to get back to the level where they are. Um, as Ed alluded to, Seidel was probably to me the very key signing for that from the LMP1 Porsche program, um, and he's he. The, you watch the McLaren unboxed stuff on YouTube, little videos they have from behind the scenes, basically they put out. And Seidel's got a really good presence in that team. He really, know, he really knows what he's doing, and it, it reminds me of Martin Whitmarsh when he was at the team, where there was a good safe pair of hands on the on the controls. Whereas when Ron Dennis tried to reclaim all the power and um, brought in Eric Boulier and people like that, it felt a bit like normally new who was in charge of the team. There was quite a lot of pandering to Alonso that got carried on into Zach Brown's era as well. And yeah, I agree that the sort of 
relaxation of the team essentially the the relaxed nature of it has really in terms of in their perception really helps them come across really helps them develop into a really good racing team and a really good car because yeah mclaren obviously 10 years ago was fighting for championships so there's a reason why people have such a soft spot for this team and the fact that they're regaining it is even better i think mclaren mercedes next year is going to be excellent definitely i my one wishes they'd go back to the chrome livery because i think that was brilliant but that's just nostalgia really um the mulberry the Marlboro cigarettes livery. Now that was. They should have gone to that for Honda. When they got Honda on board, they should have done that. And then, yeah. Now that would have fun. ruined that livery. That's true, actually. Hindsight so, yeah, they is wonderful. Have done that. That. In if hindsight, they, they should have. If Honda had been good with them, that would have been good. But unfortunately, yeah. it wasn't. So I'm glad. And that is also very true. Um, yeah. And that's, I don't know, the last interesting result, I think, from the race. But it was the end of season. And there's a few lasts which. Yeah, it's 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 weird thinking about, especially in this season, which has been so strange anyway, kind of, you know, these are, I think it's maybe hit me more than usual that, you know, there are things that, are, you know, we're seeing for the last time here. So I guess the big one is Perez. We don't know if he'll be on the grid in 2021 or two. We imagine that he will, but for the moment, this is going to be his last race. There's Seb at Ferrari. There's Racing Point as a privateer team. They're going into works entry, which I think for me is a big loss. Lando and Carlos were losing those as a driver pairing, at least for now. And then Danny Pitt, Kevin Magnussen and Emerson, uh, not Emerson. Pietro Fittipaldi, it's their last races. Yeah. Um, yeah, who who do you think will kind of miss most? Who will you both each miss most of the departing figures or setups this season? Uh, I think for me, for me personally, it's Racing Point as a privateer. I think kind of since they've always been a team that's good at punching above their weight right from their beginning as Jordan. Obviously, they gave Schumacher his debut. You know, they nearly won the title with Hightower French and Damon Hill had a superb win at Spa 98, so I believe. And um, yeah, you know, as Force India, they were, you know, a lot of people's favorite, you know, kind of neutral favorite, second favorite teams. I think for me, it's, you know, they, they've got bigger and better things to be going to with Aston Martin. I think it's great that they're coming on board, but I think, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a change for F1 losing racing point, Force India, Jordan in that capacity for me. Yeah, they've always been a good plucky team, haven't they? Yeah. Um, even though they had a few sort of fallow years when in sort of, late 2000s when ownership was going as well yeah yeah and ownerships was going across everyone midland spiker whatever it was um which is easy to forget um they um yeah they've 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 done well and the fact that they've survived really i think is really good and i think moving to a privateer moving moving from a privateer to a full constructor outfit um as aston martin is really great for the team and really great to sh- to really reward what this team has done for the past 30 years yeah i'd say so i think we all sure have been a bit of a been a bit of a roller coaster ride because when they started in 91 they were they had probably one of the best cars on the grid they gave arguably one of the greatest drivers of all time a chance 
but then they had to deal with the side note of the fact their driver was in jail for punching a, a taxi driver. And then they um, had they had a bit of a, a couple of down years that Rubens came, got that podium, then got injured. Then you had 95 where they got the double podium. Then they had the troubles with Peugeot where the Peugeot engine exploded like a grenade and they lost momentum for that. And then Damon came along and it all, it took it to another level. And then when Hyde Tarrell arrived, it was David versus Goliath. You know, I don't know why you didn't forget Giancarlo Fisichella winning Brazil. You know, the pouring rain. It's a brilliant strategy. And now we've got... Then you had the spiky year in the middle of the year, which didn't do anything. I think Fisichella at Spa, for me as well, is the big... You know, because that was after the first few years that I started watching. And they'd been, you know, a dog of a team over over 2007 and 8 and 9 and then you know he gets that pole position yeah. it was just mind blowing grande grande lap as they say in Italy um, Adrian Suttle second on the grid in Monza I know you were probably fanboying at that moment Adam um, <laughs> oh, uh, Adrian. yeah I know you love your, your Adrian and, and, then, and then Sergio's era when he came off yep. both, both teams were not in the best play, both sides were not in the best place Colsinia had been a bit irrelevant, 2013. Uh, Sergio and Pri had that terrible year at McLaren. And then they really built this team up again and again and again. They were, they were, you're thinking they had the third, fourth best car on their day. Ferrari screwed up or Red Bull screwed up. And then Racing Point. You know, we all we can all look back on 2018 thinking how unlucky Ocon was. But we can also thank Lance Stroll for saving one of the last privateers in the sport. But as of today... They with it going to Aston Martin, sport loses another part of its soul, in my view. With you know, second privacy ago with Williams heading out after Monza, you know, it's going to be it's becoming a more you need factory sport to rely on to survive in the sport now. It's no longer the privateer where the mum and pop operation could compete against your Ferraris, your Mercedes, your Red Bulls, your Renault. So it's an end of an era, and it's a very sad end of an era, and I think. All the figures who have built this team up, Lady Jordan, BJ Malia, who in a sense nearly took this team down with him when he was currently facing extradition back to India. <laughs> um, and Lawrence Stroll, Sergio Perez, Damon, Heinz Harold, they all, Giancarlo, they were all legends of this team. And it feels we're losing a lot of that history. Aston Martin will be great for the sport, but we will always, we will always think back to those Pink Panthers. The pink one, there was a lot of good memories and it's going to be a shame to lose them. I, um, I look at it and kind of think the privateer could well be saved by the regulations of the next few years, but mm. it's come too late. And I know what you mean, Ed, that um, it's a bit like, yeah, if, if, if budget caps had been brought, forced onto Formula One like Max Mosley was trying to do in 2009, um, then maybe we wouldn't be in you know, we would have had a Force India World Championship or something because of the way they... 2017 was a fantastic year for them. Their car was way better than... They just developed and developed and developed over the court from like 14 to 17, basically, on the same, the same concept and just leapfrogged gradually. They got faster than um, Williams, faster than McLaren, fast, and gradually got faster and faster and faster and were the fastest team. Just It was like... People talk about Class B battles. It was a class... They, Force India were Class B, and then it was Renault and beyond, basically. So they did, they did a really good job. And they probably... if, if with, I think there's still a, a lot to say for their future. And 
I don't think their future discounts any of it. I don't think it's sad to see them become Aston Martin. I think it just means that this team will finally get even more of a chance, in my opinion. And I think it's the same team. It's still the Jordan entry, really. So it's it's the same team. It's still based at Silverstone, the same factory. Um, for investment now. And I think that's really good. It's going to be this, it's going to be Lawrence Stroll. It's going to be Andrew Green. It's going to presumably be Otmar Safnauer still as well. So Andrew Green, who's been there since it was Jordan, since day one. So since they were in F3. So it's the same team who are just now, presumably in my eyes, going to be going even further beyond their original station, really. So I think yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. yeah and I will, add, I will add something. They have that the third best car on the grid. And they're gaining, arguably, in my view, the second best driver lineup in Formula 1, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel's a huge asset for this team. You know, when Damon arrived, he was a one-time champion. Seb a four-time world champion. He will bring a hell of a lot. He will almost coach... Lance just had a little bit more to get the accept to make him an exceptional driver, and I think with Seb it also brings that extra element of development which you need. And I can, don't, I can only see it going up, but there's just a tinge of the old romantic in me who's sad to see a privateer go being taken over by the big bucks. Yeah, I think because we lose a team and we don't want to eat that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's evolution in a way. And, you know, this is, I guess, the dream for a lot of private teams that they get taken over by a big company. I think I'm probably closer to Freddie in that, you know, is a, it's a good thing. But I think, you know, also it's a, it is a shame. It's a shame that F1 will lose kind of racing point force India as an entity. But, you know, it's, it's as big a positive that they'll gain Aston Martin onto the grid. Um, you know, I'd, disagree about Stroll and Vettel I'm not got too much faith in that well I think it has potential to be a good driver lineup but you know we can we can talk more about that uh, later today are there any any more kind of lasts that you know either of you are you know particularly sad to see this season I think what makes it weird is that the, the majority of them were announced in like March and April May and it's like, we're yeah. expecting Carlos to go to Ferrari. And we have been since 17 yeah. races ago, expecting Ricardo to go to McLaren and all of that. So it's, it's interesting because it all feels kind of like, okay, now it's going to happen. It, feels, it doesn't feel like there's that kind of big breaking news atmosphere that you would normally get sort of around five or six races from the end of the year. It's, it, it's, it's all a bit like, okay, now here we go. We've been waiting for 2021 for so long, for the 23 race season in 2021, which is just going to put 17 to shame in terms of the amount. So it's, I think I'll be a bit, I think Ricardo at Renault is going to be weird to not see actually, because I think he's really worked that team nicely. For a lot of what, how Renault want to be seen, Ricardo works with that, with the, um, the, the relaxed atmosphere that McLaren now projects, but Renault are bringing in Fernando Alonso, who basically instigated the, the, the sour atmosphere at McLaren. So, in my opinion. Um, so, I think well, I kind of am sad to see a Renault I'm quite liking <laughs> go, in a way, as a team atmosphere. I'm a bit worried that as they become Alpine with Alonso, that they might become a bit... I mean, I think they'd be excellent team in the races. I think they're just 
as an atmosphere might be a bit different, unless he's yeah. learnt a lot from his Lawan days. We better get the drive survive cameras in for that one. Emo Connor single file works galore. Um, one thing I'm, I mean, we're, in a way, we've all been announced in April. We're, Formula One fans have always almost had a time to grieve over the departure. They've had a time to mourn their man leaving. For me, Sebastian leaving Ferrari, it's it stings a little bit um, because it. When you go into Maranello, you either come out a cult hero or a real hero. For me, Seb has been arguably the one who has brought Ferrari back up with Arriva Bene, with the top cars. He's been he brought that team back up from nowhere. Bearing in mind, when Seb was going to Ferrari in 2014, they were awful. They were frankly putrid. They were like bad fish uh, with Alonso and Raikkonen. When Vettel came along, you know, they were winners early on in the season. They were quick. They were the only real challenger to Mercedes. I suppose you could say that it is weird that he never won a championship there. Because he was so close in 17 and 18. They had the car to do it. They had the package. Unfortunately, both sides screwed up. And it almost seems quite indignified, considering that he is a massive Ferrari fan. He is a Ferrari fanboy at heart. You know, the what kind of drivers, apart from Schumacher and John Alesi, and maybe Fernando Alonso, endeared themselves so much to Defosi? Bearing in mind, a couple of years ago, before Seb had moved to Ferrari, they were booing him. They were absolutely slating him. And then a couple of years later, they love him to bits. So it feels weird. It's going to be weird seeing him in green, not red, like we've always expected him to be. We've always expected... You know, him to be in a red car, finishing, winning the race or coming second, making the odd hilarious comments on the radio and saying grazie ragazzi. You know, we're not going to get that anymore. That's another thing. That's going to be a yeah. cool thing we're going to miss. I think it's we good for Seb. That since, on a regular good. basis, 2018. But, sorry, Freddie. I think it's good for Seb to really kind of get out of Ferrari, though. It's not yeah, the fact he joined. He, joined with, he was signed by Luca de Montezemolo, who left when he joined. And yeah. put in Maurizio Rubene basically with him. And I think he wasn't really listened to, Seb, throughout his whole time at Ferrari. There's so much we can go into on that. And I think we always do go into it about Seb. That his, his Ferrari years have been kind of like Seb is just should be a plug in and play driver when he's not. He's a team player. And Ferrari, I think, kind of missed the boat on how to work with Seb in a way that Red Bull were able to do and to dominate with. And I think yeah. Seb going to, to Aston Martin after a dire, dire season, he has been not good this year, Sebastian, unfortunately. Um, but when he had his slightly more poor season against Ricardo in Red Bull, when he left, he, he got into a new environment and you know, sprung right back up. So I think there's a lot to say for um, that, that being the case next year at Aston Martin. I don't think I can hope. I don't think the clerk arriving helped. Uh, because it added that extra competition he didn't need. He was comfortable with Kimi. And Ferrari did screw up with strategy. They did screw up the fact they had team principals every five seconds moving around. They had all sorts. I think when Macchioni, when he died after hunger, I think that really started the cycle of the end because he, the team just never really picked up afterwards. And unfortunately, that's why they lost 2018. Because the team had a dark cloud over it. And they brought in some bad upgrades as well. 
around Absolutely. Singapore. They brought in some upgrades that were naff and took them off the car and they got to USA. And then Kimi Raikkonen won the race. So yeah. realistically, if they hadn't had those upgrades, I think they probably still would have been much closer to the championship. And I think they just went the wrong way in development. And like you say, that could well have been due to just there being a complete confusion in the mindset of how to work Ferrari um, at, over, the, over the summer and early autumn in 2018. Yeah, I think, ironically, Arriva Bene means good arrival, which, uh, yeah, wasn't so much. I think, I think with Seb, I, think I, I find it interesting what you said, Ed, about, you know, kind of comparing where they were in 2014, 15, when he joined to where they are now. He's, he's, I think proves that he's not at the same level of Hamilton. Just, I think to me, um, you know, I don't want this to become a kind of said post mortem. I, I tend to view it a bit more. A failure is quite a strong word, but you know, ultimately, it's not achieved its goal of no. making Ferrari world champions again, which is kind of what he went there to do. He wanted to emulate his hero, Michael Schumacher, but you know, it's. It's not always about that, and you know I think looking forward to a fresh start for him at Aston Martin and seeing you know what he can do there. I th- just just one more that I'd like to mention is Carlos Sainz. I think he's got a very difficult job ahead of him, and I do like him at McLaren when things are going well, and him and Lando are loving each other, and it's you know such a nice happy scenario team to be in. So. That that might potentially be a, a bit of an end for, you know, at least a few years if he's at Ferrari. You know, if Leclerc carries on his performance, I think it will be very difficult for Carlos Sainz to bed in there. So, I think a bit like you, Freddie, with Daniel Ricciardo at Renault, I think losing the McLaren Carlos Sainz is, I think, going to be a bit of a loss. But you know, equally, it's he's got the tools that he needs to really put himself in as a top level top tier driver at Ferrari. He's coming to his own Carlos Science has at McLaren. He seemed a bit lost when he was at Renault and he was being a bit sidelined by the Red Bull program. Um, and he, yeah, he's taken the team under his mantle and, and has been the lead driver with a very, very strong Landon Norris alongside him. But for the majority of the two seasons together, Carlos Science has been a fantastic driver and his, his 2019 season is really proof of that he was brilliant so I think Ferrari realistically did sign probably the right driver who's not going to be a headache like it was when they signed Leclerc but it's going to be a good good pair of hands on the wheel and I think yeah I'm excited for him and I really hope he can pull it off but I'm a bit tentative for him because he's in a good atmosphere right now and he's performing his best and I, I wonder whether that could alter for him in the future I guess time will tell I do seriously wonder, I remember when he signed, I did think, has he done an Evo Capelli here? Where he's left a good environment and then gone to a complete powder cake and it's just backfired with a pop driver next to him. When Carlos was at Renault, he, he, did, he didn't really fit suit him. He was like, hey, I always forget about it. I always forget about science at Renault. I always forget it happened. It's almost like when you wake up from a, a really bad hangover. Like, what, what happened there? And um, yeah, and the fact that I think Gasly getting the seat at Red Bull really didn't help his mindset. 
So McLaren was a fresh start for him, and he's become a real star. You know, we do now look at him as one of the top 10 drivers on the grid. His qualifying is a bit shoddy at times, I will admit, but it has improved a lot this season. Uh, if you look at like Austria, the second Austria race where he got, you know, top three in awful conditions. And he's become a real team leader, and it's what you kind of need as a driver. What, in fact, it's what all great drivers need, team leadership. He's led that team with Lando on his side. He's built a good rapport with him. He's almost coached Lando in some ways, tried to relax him. And he is a superb driver. I just worry for him, could this be the move that kiboshes Carlos's career? Because he doesn't want to be fighting around in that cup. Struggling, he needs the 2022 regulations to come, and they need to be good. But how patient a Ferrari? We've seen teams time and time again, they've said, we'll give this guy patience, we'll give this guy patience. They never do. They end up sacking them. So I, I worry for Carlos. I have, a, I have a slight worry that it doesn't go wrong. But we'll see. I think it'll be interesting to watch how him and Charles get on. Because near the end of this year, Charles and Seb were having the odd round there and then, especially after the second Austrian race. Yeah. So it'll be fun. It's been an interesting battle at McLaren because for the first time of the season... Norris was just supreme, obviously got the podium first out and fastest lap first time out at Austria. And then kind of up till up to the Russian Grand Prix, he had all the momentum. He finished all but one race in the points. And yeah, and then, you know, neither of them scored a point in Russia. Sainz had one of the more comical retirements of the year, really. Um, and then since then, he's been absolutely supreme. He's since you know, including Germany to the end of the season, he's finished in the points every time. He's finished in the top six all but once. He's finished fourth once, fifth, can't speak, three times. It's been a really good end of season for Sainz after it looked like, you know, Norris might have the better of him. You know, and that would be a really, a real negative to be going to Ferrari on. But actually he's, you know, he's been able to flip that. And yeah, I think he's done very well. And yeah, I, I, I think it'll be a shame, as I said, to see the McLaren version of science go, but equally intriguing to see the Ferrari version of science come out and what he's like. Um, and that takes us nicely onto the young driver test because McLaren are the only team not to be sending any young drivers there. But there's going to be some interesting people to watch at the young driver test that takes place at Abu Dhabi following well, I imagine it'll be a lot better than the race, to be honest. It'll be a lot more interesting. <laughs> what are you both looking forward to? Who are you tracking for the test? I'm interested in the Mercedes battle between Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick De Vries. Bearing in mind these two are Formula E teammates, so it should be really interesting to see who's quicker in the what is arguably the, the best car on the grid over one lap. I will be interested to see whether Stoffel still has it, really, because of the fact that he's been away from Formula for nearly two years. I'll be also interested to see how close Nick is. It, it's going to be really interesting to watch these two, see how they get on, because they're both exceptional drivers. They're both quick. They both know each other very well. And it might be quite interesting for Mercedes if we do have a new team and they want to put another engine and another team in the season, whether that be Panthera or Campos. It could be interesting to see which one they want to be their factory driver to race in that team. So I would be intrigued to watch them two see quicker. Yeah, I would have said De Vries, actually, because he hasn't really had his time to shine, to even have an F1 chance, frankly. Um, 
I also think, um, I mean, yeah, the young guns that everyone's looking at, Schumacher, Mick Schumacher, everyone's looking at him. It'd be nice. He seemed to gel quite nicely with the Haas team uh, this weekend in his FP1 outing, I think. Um, so it'd be nice to see that sort of develop a bit. Um, I think that's about it, really. I mean, everyone else is just there, really, as circumstance, frankly. Um, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Roy Nassani, actually. It, it's a completely left field one, but he actually did decent in his two practice sessions compared to some other F2 drivers that have gone in, especially given how poor he's been in F2 and is F2. He's actually not done that badly when he's come into F1. So, you know, just looking at it within the test, obviously there's not going to be any ramifications. He's nowhere near a license, I, than what I know. He's, you know, I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. Um, and Yuri Vips is the other one that I'm, yeah, again, interested to see for a different reason in that, you know, he could be in F1, you know, not too far in the future, especially, you know, if Gasly moves on from AlphaTauri at the end of next season, Vips would probably be in pole position to take that seat, assuming Sonoda goes this year. So I think those those are two that I'm quite looking forward to seeing, but, you know. It's also how how much can we tell from the test? You know, there's always Not that. Really anyway, I mean, I don't think anything's going to lead to any seats, is it? I don't, no. I don't Nick De Vries is going to suddenly be in the the, the, the darling of um, of the F1 driver market. It's not going to happen. But um, it's just a bit of a. It's become a bigger story than than it needed to because of all of the the fact that they decided to designate a young driver test rather than the Pirelli test, which is what it's been for a few years. Um, so normally when you'd see uh, when science got his first run in the McLaren and that kind of thing in um, Leclerc as a, as a Ferrari driver, we're not getting Vettel going to racing point. We're not getting science going to Ferrari for the first time, but we are getting Fernando Alonso in, in the Renault and for some reason, Sebastian Buemi in the Red Bulls there. And there's a few left field choices, but Hey, whatever teams are just going to do what they want. And that's about it really. And that's, that's what made this test made this test become a bit of a weird story, but it's just going to be the same as it is all the time, where they test out trial down, trial downforce things for the next year. And I don't think it will mean too much for any driver, frankly. Well, it's more or less turned into the senior citizens test. Let uh, <laughs> me. Um, I don't see Marino Sato exactly jumping into a. A Formula One drive next season. Maybe it'll be fun to watch. I think we won't really find that much out. It will be more or less just a promotional exercise for some of them, especially with the Alonso hype train. Hopefully, this might not be possible. Alpine release their livery a little bit early so we can actually see what it looks like, or at least give us a hint of what it's going to look like. Because if it's going to be as good as what we had with Renault, we should be in for a bit of fun. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's, I think. Actually, yeah, that's a nice one to finish. Do you, are you more looking forward to their delivery or Aston Martin's delivery? I've got to go Aston Martin. I've seen some concepts that look brilliant. And, you know, I, I'm i looking forward to, you know, British Racing Green back on the grid. The last attempt by Caterham wasn't brilliant. So I think that's what I'm actually very much looking forward to, especially if they throw a little lime green, throw a little pink on there. Mm-hmm. It could be some very good... Watermelon sugar. sugar, they'll be named. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, it's like a Jaguar green, not Caterham green, which was the uh, Jaguar livery. HSBC one is one of my favourites of all time. 
with a bit of pink placed in the white. Um, hopefully, it's not snot green like Catron produced. Um, Alp Alpine, if it's if it's like the full French tricolor livery, that should be fun to watch. It's will bring back Prost memories or the time when you know the time when Lige was around. You'd be thinking, oh, this is pretty nice. So that'd be a nice photo. But for me, I've got to go Aston. I think Alpine because I think Aston's got. I'm more scared for Aston Martin's livery than I am excited for it because it could go so wrong. Obviously, BWT are going to play a big part in it, and I don't know how well pink and British racing green are going to mould together on a Formula One car. Um, it's all well and good as an emoji, but it's a bit different um, when it's on a car. Uh, I'd say Alpine. I'm quite excited for that based on their history in sport as well. Um, when you were listing off old teams there, Ed, I was thinking maybe Matra. When you take it back to the early Jackie Stewart days, oh yeah, kind of a nice. That's the proper French racing blue. That is what it what it would be. Prost always seemed to be a little bit too dark. Ligier seemed to be a little bit too dark for French racing colours. So hopefully it'll be a bit of a a lighter kind of not lighter blue, but you know, aqua kind of vibes. And I quite I quite looking forward to that. Um, and we could see something completely different from anyone on the grid, frankly. Um, the um, Mercedes are sticking with their black livery, they said, which is really good. And I think you seem to get a few teams do something a little bit different every year. Um, McLaren have started having a different theme to their orange and blue. They did the triangles last year, the kind of sort of stripy bits this year. Um, for like someone who is as nerdy as me, even the little inflections get me a bit excited i think it's quite interesting that even after a race we started talking about at the end beginning of this podcast saying how dull it was we're already excited for the next season yeah that's definitely a, that's a spot one Americs. we we always think of the future and while you're on the mention of matra leighton house as well that beautiful turquoise oh, wow they if they did turquoise oh yeah i would be all over their merchandise like i don't know <laughs> flies to honey really um, also, maybe they have like hopefully Fernando or Esteban go green with the helmet, so we have only Pescarolo driving a blue Ooh. Lewis Alpine. That'd be pretty nice. Absolutely, yeah. Alonso's, Alonso's helmet. I'm looking forward to seeing. But if McLaren, if McLaren do go for a chrome Vodafone style livery, all bets are off. That's my favourite on the grid, um, right there and there. But that brings us to the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix review that's kind of been a bit of a season review but we will we are wanting to get a bigger season review out and we're kind of working on that at the moment planning that out um so yeah that might be coming down the track next week or so and yeah we'll continue doing podcasts over the off season but probably not as frequently as we have been um but for now that's everything oh, thanks very much to freddie and ed for joining us Make sure you check both of them out on Twitter and me and us and tell us what you think. But for now, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.